Hi, this is Michael Ironside, and you're listening Without Your Head. Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by John Keyes, writer and director of The Harrowing, which is out now in Doom Room, which comes out in January. It's very cool to have you here. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I, I've seen both movies, and I love both movies, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about them. That's awesome. That's great that you got to see both. Yeah. Well, what I noticed in both these, and when I was looking at some of the other things, um, the other movies is that uh, you work with a lot of uh, the same actors. I do, I do, and that's a you know it's it's interesting as a director, and I think there's a lot of directors. I mean, obviously, a lot of well-known directors that do that too. But when you find when you find some people, you know, as a director, you kind of figure out. You know, you you end up telling very I don't want to say similar stories, but you know, stories that might have the same theme or same type of characters or some sort of personalities. And you know, when you start to work with actors and you and you start to work with really good actors, it's nice. You begin to learn what their strengths are and what uh, what their range is and the different things that they're able to do. And you know, and not to mention the fact that you know these are people that you're going to spend quite a bit of time being around. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, you find actors that you've worked with that you know what their range is, and then they're just good people, people that are a pleasure to have on set and be around. You know, be around for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks every day. Um, you know. You know, it's always nice to be able to kind of, you know, be able to circle back on them. Um, you know, Matthew Tompkins, who stars in The Harrowing and, you know, co-stars in, in Doom Room. You know, he and I have actually, we've done four or five movies together. Debbie Rashawn and I go way back to my first movie, American Nightmare. You know, we've done a couple of movies together. Love Debbie. Um, even like Hayden Tweedy, who plays Ella in The Harrowing and Innocence in Doom Room. 
Um, funny enough, you know, Hayden was in my first movie, American Nightmare, when she was seven years old. And now wow. she's in her 20s. Yeah. And so, and Hayden's been in probably, actually, it's funny, of everybody that I've worked with, Hayden has actually been in more of my movies than anybody else. She's mm-hmm. actually kind of grown up in my movies, being seven years old in the first one, and she's done seven movies with me. So if people who actually have followed my movies have gotten to see Hayden grow up, you know, until, you know, obviously through the heroine being the most recent of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, with her now in her 20s. It's fantastic. Yeah. Then that's a, that's that's really well, because that'd be different than like um, actors who already, you know, are grown up, you know, in their prime or whatever. Uh, to see something in someone when they're like seven to have them again in your other movies. Exactly. It is. And it's been, you know, and it's funny, it's even going like, so, so like Debbie Rashawn, of course, started my first movie, American Nightmare. Hayden was in that. So they've actually even known each other. You know, I think, uh, I don't know exactly. I think, I think Debbie and I were both around 30 when we made American Nightmare. Hayden was seven. So Debbie's gotten to see Hayden grow up as well. And of course, got to act with her in Doom Room. Doomer again. It was kind of what's really, what was really kind of strange, I guess, more than anything was, you know, having grown up with Hayden and, and almost being like an uncle to her and I'm very close with her family. When the heroine came around and the role of Ella was up, you know, I knew Hayden's probably one of the best natural actors I've ever met. I absolutely just, her entire life from when she was seven years old, she was one of the strongest actors I've known and then has remained that way throughout her life. And of course, in the harrowing, she has an implied nudity scene, um, mm-hmm. and that was really that was a very that was a very strange conversation <laughs> to have with her. Right, growing yeah. up with her, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But we've also, you know, she trusts me, I trust her, and respect her, and you know, and it's you know, she's an adult now, and she's going to be taking on adult roles. She's going to be taking on more mature roles, and things like that are going to come up. And and uh, you know, there's obviously a lot. Of mutual respect, but she's just she's such an amazing actress, and it's just great to keep kind of working with a with a stable of really really strong actors. Mm-hmm. So when you know um, the actors and the strength, like you said, uh, when you're writing something, do you sometimes write for for them, or when you're writing it, maybe you think, hey, this would be a good role for you know whoever. Yeah, no, I absolutely. If I'm writing, if I'm writing, or even if I'm rewriting somebody else's script that I'm going to direct, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely th- doing things like that. So, like in the case of the harrowing, um, I I actually wrote the script specifically for Matt Tompkins to star in. So we knew we knew as I as I because Matt and I have been working together for ten years, and we've you know he's acted in movies that I've directed, and and we've produced movies together and things like that. But I haven't directed something where Matt was the lead actor in that. And I knew I wanted to do that just because he's such a talented actor and we're business partners and we're great friends. Um, and so we, I wrote, I wrote that specifically for him and I knew people who know Matt uh, as an actor know him from, you know, either he's usually playing some sort, some sort, type of cop surprise, you know, or some type of bad guy, but they don't always get to see this incredible range that he has an incredible range of emotions and incredible range of talent huge arcs that he's able to play. And so I wanted to be able to give, give him a movie to, 
to lead in that he could display all those talents. So I was absolutely writing for him the entire time in the, in, in the heroine. Um, like in the case of Doom Room, I knew that I wanted Debbie to be Debbie Rashawn to be in it. I knew that I wanted Hayden Tweedy to be in it. So when I was writing the roles of wife and innocence, I was definitely writing for them. And I was writing to utilize the things that I loved the most about them as actors. Um, and and as, so I'm, yeah, I'm always doing that, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of – the harrowing was done in Dallas where, where Matt lives at, where I lived at for a long time, where I still consider to be you know part of my home base as a director. And the harrowing in particular – is completely top to bottom filled with actors that I know that I've worked with that Matt and I have worked with. So we were, I was able to write a lot of those roles, refine a lot of those roles, you know, for the actors that Matt and I knew where we were going to want Trey Walpole, um, who plays Carl in the movie. We knew that we were going to want Trey to play that role. So after I did the first draft of the script, I started to refine the character for him and his personality. Um, you know, Arnold Voslow and Michael Ironside, I've worked with both of them before and and so you know i refine those roles for them um so yeah i absolutely if i know that there's an actor that i want for the role i definitely will start to write for them um or i'll start to refine it for them to to bring out the best things and to try to challenge them also to give them something meaty and interesting to do with the characters that they get yeah and michael ironside on last week and he said that that uh what uh, really interests them in the harrowing was uh, the challenge of kind of playing the same role, but in two different ways, you know, in the movie, not yep. to give too much away about the movie. And uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. He also talked really highly of you. So, you know. Well, I love Michael. I mean, we've had, we've done, how many, have we done three, three or four movies together now um, two as a director and then, you know, and then as a producer as well. And so Michael and I've got a lot of very similar background and we, we found a lot of similarities in each other and, and, uh, and became very good friends. And even when we're not working together, we were, Michael and I talk once a month. We, te- you know, we text, we call, we email, we check in with each other. He's become a very good friend and, and obviously I love him as an actor as well. And so, yeah, it was really fun when, when I, when we decided once we kind of got the heroin going, and stuff, and I brought up, you know, with Matt that I, I really wanted Michael to play the lieutenant, and I kind of started to tweak it and stuff to, towards him. Um, you know, I literally just called up Mike, and I was just like, "Hey, can I send this over to you? Can you give it a read? Would you want to do it?" You know, and then he came back. He's like, "I love it. I love the duality of the character. I get, I love, yeah. you know, some of the perceptions of reality." And he, and and being Michael, he he brings things to the table also. Uh, you know, a tremendous tool bag of of experience and and a lot of really great ideas that that elevate everything and, and really keep everybody on set on their toes as well. So I love working with Mike. Yeah, it's it. Um, the movie, cause so Matthew Tompkins kind of looks like he would play like, you know, a cop and then, you know, Mike Ironside, look, you know, you could see him as the grizzled, you know, veteran. So they look like, uh, like what, if this would be a traditional movie, but you know, it's totally different. But then I think you need people that work within that, uh, to make it seem like a real movie. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things too, I try to, I try, I try to avoid stereotypes. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I mean Matt, Matt, you know, Matt as Calhoun playing a vice detective. Matt looks like a cop. I can believe him. I can look at him. Audiences can look at him and believe that he, this guy's going to play a cop. The thing that I try to do as best as I can is to create roles, though, that are more real than the movie stereotypes. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that Matt and I talked about with Calhoun from the very beginning was I don't want any 
machismo. I don't want any bravado. You know, I want a co- I want you to be a cop, and there's certain strengths and confidences that come with being being a cop. But he's still a human being, and he's still you know a large part of the story is about his home life and his relationship with his wife. And so I was like, you know, I want a cop who is. Who is who has been you know scarred? Who's been wounded? Who can be vulnerable? Because we're all vulnerable. I mean, I know. I mean, you know, I've got I've got officers in my family. I know a lot of officers, and it's like you know, they're not they're not all the, the you know the bravado that you see on TV and in movies. They're they've got emotions and they get scared and they get you know they feel fear. And I wanted to bring those things out, and I think that's one of the reasons why Calhoun works so well in the movie is he's a much more three dimensional character that that makes him more relatable. Um, to audiences, and that's kind of I've been kind of getting that feedback from a lot of people, which is really really nice to hear. Yeah, we mentioned uh, stereotypes. I noticed that in in both movies I saw recently was uh, I really like your writing because you don't use a lot of cliches, especially like uh, it's maybe a little thing. Maybe some people don't care, but like insults, like they're they're very creative and, and like little <laughs> jokes, and they're very different. Because uh, I watched like kind of a big movie not not too long ago. And like every insult was they just called her one asshole, and I was like, man, can't they think of something like more interesting to call somebody? Right, and uh, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I love you know, I something that I've just from having done this for twenty years as a, you know as a director first, you know, actors want interesting things to say. They want interesting things to say. They want things that feel natural, and they and and then they feel original. So I'm constantly trying. You know, trying to find ways of of giving them interesting things to say and original ways to, for them to say, and then I also give give the actors a lot of uh, a lot of latitude with the dialogue. You know, we we mm-hmm. when we're rehearsing and we're kind of getting ready. You know, I kind of go through each scene and like, here's the point of the scene. Here's the A, B, and C of what we're where we're trying to go within the scene as well as in the greater arc of the movie. And I'm always very encouraging of, and if you want to change the dialogue to make it fit your how you're playing this character, by all means do it. As long as we stick to the beats and as long as we stick to the story. So I always try to encourage that as well. You know, in the case of Durham, and it's funny that you mentioned the insults because I think immediately and. People will understand it if they, when they see Dean Room, the character mm-hmm. of Leviticus, the very vile speaking preacher. Um, yes. Carl Carl Kirshner, who wrote who who I wrote wrote Doom Room with, um, he has a particular knack for insults. He <laughs> 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 comes up with some truly original, vile, hysterical things and stuff. So a lot of that, at least in the Doom Room case, a lot of that, a lot of that, I'm going to lay at the feet of Carl. Um, yeah. He's just got a knack for that stuff. Yeah, that, that's what uh, it really uh, stood out to me because, like, it was, you know, like I said, it wasn't just this, like, hey, you're a slut, slut, slut over there, over and over. It was different things, and it, it's both vile and all, but it, it part of me makes me laugh a little bit, so uh, it totally worked in the movie. Which it should, which it should. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when did you, uh, where did the idea for the heroine come from? Were you inspired by anything? No, I mean I've always been a fan. I've always been a fan of movies like um, uh, uh, Shutter Island and Angel Heart and Jacob's Ladder. Um, you know, movies that kind of deal with perceptions of reality and how um, you know how that's how that's how people how how we perceive a lead character and we perceive the role or the world that they're existing in and then we begin you know reality starts to break itself down and we begin we as an audience and then the character themselves begin to question what that reality is so i've always been a fan 
of movies like that. And then I, and I'm also I'm a I'm a fan of cop procedural movies as well. Um, you know, which which in part at least with like Angel Heart and and uh, Shutter Island, you know, in part those are a bit police procedural. So, you know, I, I knew I, I wanted to create something like that, and that was sort of the inspiration uh, of where that all started itself with. And then and then of course you know Matt, knowing that I wanted Matt to play Calhoun, um, you know, he obviously my how how I perceive him and knew the strengths and weaknesses and and the different things that he could bring to the table, um, you know, that that obviously heavily influenced the inspiration of how the directions that that character went. And it's, it's cool because uh, when you're watching, you don't know which is real and which isn't. And also, like, uh, who really who's the real victim? And uh, wh- which would be more horrific if he, you know, if you know who the victim is, you know, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, you know, I, I, I've, I'm always a fan of, and I've always been a fan of movies that make you think. Um, yeah. You know, particularly, I love, you know, like our our distributor film mode. You know, Clay likes to sit, likes to say that it's an elevated genre film. Um, you know, I like I like genre films. I like horror movies that are hopefully intelligent, that make you think, that make you become engrossed in the mystery of what's going on as well. And that's one of the reasons why I love this type of genre that the heroine exists in is is I, I I feel like or I hope that I'm constantly trying to you know keep the audience engaged, but keep them guessing as to what's going on. Because obviously, you know, I mean, for those the the brief story is that Calhoun's a vice detective. Um, you know, they're on a stakeout one night. He, his best friend, who's his partner and a third cop and everything goes, goes to shit, you know, and his, and his best friend is killed. He begins to investigate it and he eventually goes undercover into a forensic hospital trying to uncover things. And, and within all of that, he begins to hallucinate maybe, uh, demons and becomes convinced that there's some sort of demonic activity, demonic conspiracy, you know, kind of going on within all of this. And the further he goes down the rabbit hole, the more his own reality and his own perceptions begin to deteriorate and splinter. And he begins to question what's real. Hopefully the audience begins to question what's real. And and kind of playing within that sort of world is always fun. Because I just, I'm really fascinated by the perceptions of reality. And so that, 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 that was something I really enjoyed playing with in, in, as a device. Mm-hmm. I always like the idea of battling demons too, because like that thing had to come from somewhere and it's, you know, I think, you know, one line I think would be like, well, they didn't know how to explain certain things. So they thought they're demons, but you could also look at it a different way. Maybe things are still demons, but uh, we want to believe in science and not think that demons are real. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the things that I really kind of had fun with in writing it and putting this all together was, was the, you know, the, I remember I talked with a forensic psychiatrist who's a friend of mine a while back. And we had this sort of conversation about demons. And it's, it kind of mirrors a little bit that the, when Dr. Whitney, when, when Calhoun's investigating Dr. Whitney, and Whitney has this whole conversation about demons and, you know, demons being just, you know, the way that we externalize mental illness and things like that. And, and I always was fascinated by that conversation. And then they, you know, and then it kind of turned in my mind to, you know, are demons something that are just metaphors? And are they just, mm-hmm. you know, perceptions of how we view mental illness? Or are demons actually real? And if so, where do those demons come from? And, and so it was fun to be able to explore all those different things and leave the audience, you know, try to keep the audience, stay ahead of the audience enough of, you know, is this demon real? 
is this a hallucination? Is this mental illness? You know, or has has the you know the gates of hell opened and he's getting attacked and being you know by something very real and tangible from hell? And it's it, it's mm-hmm. fun to play with that. I've always been fascinated by demon lore and the way demons are presented in movies. Um, and so it was fun to kind of get to play with the different ideas of what a demon is. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And along those lines. Um... I don't feel like this in either of your movies I, I just watched, but um, does anyone ever tell you you have to spell things out more for the audience? Because I prefer a movie where it's left up, you know, to the audience to think what's going on. But, you know, sometimes you see like a big Hollywood movie and they have to really spell it out for you what what the movie yeah. is supposed to mean. And it, you know, you, it, they, I, I have had that happen. I mean, I've done, you know, I've directed enough movies um, that I've I've had, you know, under certain circumstances where I was, I had less control over the movie. I've definitely been in situations where, you know, producers, financers have kind of, you know, required that we spell it out more, that, uh, you know, we just kind of lay it out. We make it, you know, I, I, I more, more popcorn, you know, yeah. so that people don't have to think about it. Um, when left to my own devices, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> don't like to do that. And, you know, in the case of like, you know, American Nightmare, my first movie, Suburban Nightmare, uh, you know, the harrowing doom room, those were definitely ones that were, were entirely mine, you know, creatively. I mean, we definitely, you know, there was definitely other producers on those, on, on all those movies, but they, they gave me as much creative freedom as I could to tell the story I wanted to based on the way that I am as a storyteller. And so, so I like to, you know, I, I, I love to end my movies, my personal John Key stamp, <laughs> you might say uh-huh. on a lot of what I write is, is always to leave the audience questioning something at the ending, hopefully not in a bad way, but you know, the, the kind of thing that makes them want to continue thinking about the movie and wanting to, to talk about the movie afterwards. I love to end movies that way. Cause those are the kind of movies that I enjoy the most. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I've been on both sides of that sense of, you know, left to my own devices versus, you know, needing to spell things out more based on, you know, who's, who's distributing the movie, who the financiers <laughs> of the movie are. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, uh, Doom Room has a lot of, you know, uh, a similar vibe to it to me. It kind of, it was almost reversed in a way where, um, the harrowing, like it seems like it's real, but then you start to think things aren't and Doom Room, I think you kind of tell this isn't reality, but then how much of it really is reality. Exactly. And it's kind of, you know, it's really kind of funny to me that both of these movies um, are kind of coming out so close to each other, which is pure, just pure coincidence. The fact that Uh they're, they're like, you know, being released three weeks apart from each other was just pure coincidence. But it's, you know, I guess it is, it is kind of telling a little bit about me and and what (laughs) I like to write about, which is, you know, which is reality, perceptions, reality, sanity, and insanity. Um, You know, I'm, I've always been fascinated by the darkness within you know, to me, that's true horror is, is the sort of the darkness that exists within ourselves, the Jungian, you know, the Jungian idea of the shadow self. And, and uh, you know, both, both the Doom Room and the Harrowing sort of explore those ideas inversed from each other, like you just said. And so, like, you know, it was fun to kind of write the Harrowing so that we're living in reality and then we start to fracture reality and try to, you know, try to question that. And then Doom Room absolutely is the, is the inverse. We're living in an unreality, it's obvious.
this, that there's some unreality happening here, um, and what is the truth? What it, you know? And so both of them are mysteries to try to put the pieces together and understand what the truth is, but just in in different different orders, different directions. Yeah, I thought it had a, like a like a dark fairy tale uh, feel to the movie, which which I really was into. And uh, Debbie Rashawn actually, uh, I think, really like looks like you know something out of a fairy tale in the movie. I didn't even recognize her at first. No, it was you know it was. <laughs> I loved Debbie. I mean, I knew I knew I wanted Debbie in it, and I knew and I obviously I shaped shaped the character of the wife to to fit to to fit Debbie and stuff. I mean, a lot of it I give I I want to give a lot of credit to you know Belmundi, our our costume designer, and Sammy, our our makeup artist, because the two of them just did some wonderful things with with all of the characters in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when I remember uh, you know. Bell and I were talking about the makeup or the wardrobe for wife, and we had a lot of different ideas. I think in the initial, the initial version of the script, um, you know, once we were kind of starting to get up and running, was we 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 actually had wife in my head a little bit more like a marionette, and less and and Bell was the one who came up with this with you know more of the wedding dress. Um, to represent the wife, and we kind of went through those things. And so a lot of that look was definitely on Belle and on Sammy doing the makeup and coming up with some really fun things. But I love the fairy tale idea. I mean, a lot of people I know who have seen it, you know, we played it a lot of, Doom Room played it a lot of festivals and it won a lot of awards and stuff. And a lot of people said, kind of said, you know, in a way it's like a dark Alice in Wonderland, very fantastical, mm-hmm. very fairy tale-like um, but obviously dark and twisted and stuff. And, they, yeah, and yeah. that's something I always wanted to do with that movie. So I'm, I'm happy when I hear people say that. <laughs> yeah. And then as the movie goes on, it gets very real. And uh, yep. it's a really, uh, you know, interesting um, a movie to watch that way. And it kind of deals with, uh, I think like all the, all the different emotions of, of someone who's been abused or went through some kind of trauma. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of funny. It's, it, you know, without giving away the ending, there's been, you know, mm-hmm. we played a whole lot of festivals and it's always interesting to do the Q and A's afterwards. Um, you know, I, I think everybody begins to understand to a degree, you know, what, what is kind of going on in the movie. Um, without really understanding what has actually happened to her, how she's kind of got stuck here and what's kind of going on. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and that's been the, that's one of the most fun parts about the festivals and the Q and A's is getting to hear the excitement from the people of every time they thought they had it figured out, I would turn left and they're like, Nope, that's not what I thought was going on. <laughs> and then, right. you know, and then they keep watching it and then suddenly be like, Oh, it's, Oh, Nope, that's not it either. <laughs> and so yeah. they kind of, they, they start to walk the road of, of, of a, of a basic level of understanding of what's happening to this woman and where she's at, but the actual events that got her here, I think we, you know, that's been, that's kind of been the nice thing that I've been able to stay ahead of, you know, at least all the audiences that, you know, in the, in the festivals and the Q and A's and stuff, I've, I've always been able to stay ahead of them and give them, give them a good surprise or at least a good, you know, a good payoff at the end of the movie as to the truth of what's been happening. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that experience like to to watch your movie you know, at a festival with an audience? You know, it's it varies. Um, uh, I, I sometimes uh, sometimes I'm full of dread about them. Um, <laughs> right. You know, um, it's 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 kind of strange because it's I, by the time you actually get to a festival. Um, you know, I've seen the movie 150, 200 times at that point. Right. Um, so there's a lot of times where I, I 
festivals want to, you know, want to put you, the filmmaker, you know, down towards the front where the audience can kind of see you and that kind of thing. And, and I don't really enjoy that experience. I've seen the movie, you know, right. I'm kind of tired of the movie. Um, you know, like when Matt, when we started doing the screenings for both the harrowing and for doom room, um, you know, Matt and I, Matt Tompkins, cause he's in doom room as well. And one of the producers, he and I started sitting at the back of the theater, um, to where we could actually instead watch the audience and watch, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're still doing the festivals, you you probably don't have your distribution completely locked in yet, so you can still change things if you want. And mm-hmm. it was, it's been, I I enjoy now the festivals a lot more when I do sit in the back and I can watch and see what's working and maybe something's not working and something that we can address further in the edit as we keep going. And so, but you know, particularly with these two movies, the harrowing and the doom room, they've been so successful at the festivals and they've been received so well at the festivals. You know, those two have been particularly gratifying in watching with audiences because the reactions have been so great. Yeah, I was just, while you're saying that, it makes total sense to me because I was thinking like if you are in the front, everyone's behind you. So then it then it would be like, what the hell are they thinking? And exactly. <laughs> I think that would be exactly. a terrible experience. Yeah. Well, and it was funny. I remember the very first screening we did of Doom Room in in the U.S. because we shot the we shot Doom Room in England, um, and it played a few times over there. But the first time we filmed it, we screened it in the U.S. was actually in Dallas. And at, a, at the USA Film Festival, and I remember watching it. We were sitting there, and through the course of of the movie, I watched about half a dozen to ten people, you know, get up and leave, you know, but not come back. So it wasn't like they were just going to the restroom or they were just going to get popcorn or something like that. They just didn't come back. And I was like, ooh, okay, I'm not sure what this means. The audience seems engaged, and the audience seems to be really digging it. And when that screening got over with, I walked out and those people or the friends of those people who brought them to the screening were out in the lobby. They stuck around. And the way they basically the movie in some way terrified them, scared them, brought up such an emotional reaction in them. They couldn't continue to watch the movie and they had to leave, but they didn't want us to think that they bailed because they didn't like it. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, that's good. You know? Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. You did, I'm sorry. It was too traumatic for you, but at the same time, that feels great <laughs> as a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was good to stay around to let you know that. Cause you know, they don't want you to think that you, they just hated the movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Is there an, uh is there anything that inspired Doom Room? Yeah, um I remember so I mean there's a you know, there is a story, you know, I remember I might not want to talk about it maybe. Yeah, there was you know there's a because I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a particular story that 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 I had read in the news that that inspired the idea behind it, you know, and and people will begin to understand that, you know, as they watch the movie, as they finish the movie and stuff. But that's where that inspiration started out. But I wrote it in a way I wanted to write something very fantastical. I wanted to write something that was definitely a jigsaw puzzle um, that were, you know, people trying, I wanted the audience to try to put these pieces together. Um, you know, it's funny is in a way, I originally sort of envisioned Doom Room as, I think as it is right now, it's an art house horror movie. Um, 
I saw it originally as something even more extreme where I had written and I had the idea for the whole story laid out in my head. And I thought about even going even more experimental and bringing in an actress and going, I need you to trust me. All the other actors in this movie are going to know what's going on and they're going to know what needs to happen in the scene, in each of the scenes, but except you. You will never know mm. what this movie's about, and we're going to film it in real time, and we're, or, you know, we're going to film it in continuity, and see if you can figure it out. And I'll give you some, you know, obviously I'll give you some direction, and I'll give you some guidance, but let you uncover the truth in real time on camera, and never have known it walking into it. And we, and I played with that idea for a while, and there was an actress who's a good friend of mine um, that she was totally game for. But I think just as as time went by between that first inception of the script and when I eventually made made it and stuff, you know, I, and, you know, I think there was a lot of other circumstances that I eventually I was like, you know what? Even though I know this is an art house movie of sorts, even though it's a horror movie, I was like, we need to make. I, I definitely need to make sure that we get this right and yeah. and not spend and waste a lot of time in case that experiment doesn't work out <laughs> right yeah i was thinking like it's a great idea but in a way you the, the people watching would have to know that that's how you filmed yeah. it you almost need it to be much more yeah because you you almost need it to be much more like lars von trier's dogville you know where it's obviously you know him performing a play like our town on a stage, you would almost have to set this up more like that so that the audience completely is on the inside with you of knowing that this is a bit of an experiment versus just trying to tell a story. Yeah. So, um, what's it like on set when you have to film like, um, you know, like, like a rape scene? It's, you know, I try to, I try to keep it as, it's funny to say it, to hear it said out loud. I try to keep things as light as possible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of respect that you need to have with people. Um, but I found that the more, you know, I, I've been around, I've been, you know, involved in, in directing scenes like this going all the way back to my first movie. Um, I've been involved as a producer on other people's movies where, where things like this happen. And I've just kind of discovered that the more you can just be very open and matter-of-fact uh, and technical about what's going on, that makes it a lot easier. I mean, obviously, a rape scene, particularly if there's nudity involved, you're going to have a closed set. Only the people that need to be there you know, are actually on the set. But the more that you can not approach it with any sort of level of fear um, you know, and let it just be, here's what we're doing, we're just, just like any other scene, you treat it like every other scene, Actors don't become bashful. Actors don't become embarrassed. Actors understand the professionalism of what they're having to do with the role. And, you know, the majority of the time when you treat it that way, and definitely at least the way I try to treat it on a set, it's always a very comfortable set. It's just yet another scene that you're filming, and, and everybody's, you know, everybody's okay with it, and we shoot the scene, and we move on, and, and all is good. But I think it's all definitely about the attitude that you bring into the scene and how you treat the people around that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Doom Room comes out in January. So, I hope people. Yeah. Uh... yeah, it comes out digitally. It comes out digitally January 15th, and then it'll be coming out on DVD February 12th on Valentine's Day. Oh, it's a perfect, perfect movie for Valentine's Day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I <love it. laughs> yeah. so, I've never and seen then... America. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, I was just, and then of course the harrowing's available right now on all the yeah. cable, satellite, VOD platforms, Amazon, Hulu, Redbox, all of that.
So, uh, you know, you were making movies before, like, um, you know, video on demand and, and, and streaming sites uh, became big. How did that change uh, for you as a, as a filmmaker? How did that change? I, it's, it's, been, it's, it's changed. It's changed me in a way that I've got, I feel like I have to be even more business savvy. Um, meaning that like when I made my first, when I made American nightmare, I made my first movie. I mean, digital wasn't even a thing yet. We were still shooting on film. And so I shot the movie on film at a time when, of course, obviously video stores were still highly in demand. People watch stuff mm-hmm. on both DVD and VHS. Um, and it was a time when it was still, you know, quote unquote expensive to make a movie, even a low budget movie. Um, and so you can almost guarantee that you're going to get distribution and you're going to make money, particularly on a genre film. And as, as digital kind of has crept its way into the world and, you know, become allowed more and more people to make movies, obviously allow people to make movies for an, for a very inexpensive price if they want to, um, you know, to the point now where we can have any movie, you know, anybody who's got an Amazon account can, can get their movie up and on, you know, listed on Amazon for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's, it's the competition is what's become so much harder. Um, it's harder for your movie to be known, be seen because you're not walking into a video store and you know, your selection is whatever's sitting in front of you as the new release. It's harder to find find movies, you know, in that digital platform. So I've had to become smarter about it. Um, I've had to definitely the way the sales and distribution world works now. You have to have recognizable marketable name actors. I mean, that's what's going to get you better placement. That's what's mm-hmm. going to allow you to get, you know, because people don't even realize that even on things like on demand on your, you know, cable or satellite, you know, there's a hierarchy. The bigger, the bigger well-known the actor, the bigger well-known the distribution company, the better placement it's going to be on that cable, on that cable channel, on the menu, on how often it shows up. So I've had to become smarter uh, smarter about the, the people that I put in the movie, the business choices that I make to just try to stay in competition with what's out there to ensure that people see it so that we can make money off of the movie so that we can get our investors their money back. Yeah. So I think it's probably easier now than ever before to, to like make something and have it get it out there, but it's harder to actually get people to watch it. That's exactly right. That's that's the biggest thing. That's all. That's definitely the hardest thing now. But unless unless you're making a studio movie that's gotten some big theatrical release, that so so that everybody knows about it, you know, it is. It's become that much harder. It's become you have to do a lot more. You have to do a lot more press. You have to do a lot more interviews. You have to do a lot more social media. There's a whole lot more you do just trying to nudge out the competition, you know, to get it to get it placed in a way that people start to see it, and then hopefully, obviously, the movie at that point. Point, you know, can stand on its own two feet, and it's got enough, you know, you know, people liking it, and the the word of mouth starts to spread. Um, for mm-hmm. indies, that's where a lot of it relies on now is word of mouth and people liking the movie, so that you're ahead of everybody else. Yeah, yeah. I remember just like earlier this year, like movie like Terrifier, like kind of came out of nowhere, and then people, you know, kept talking about it, and it's a, uh, you know, like a big cult hit, I would say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mandy's another one like that. Yeah, you Mandy. Know, Mandy, 
Mandy completely, I was like, suddenly I'm getting phone calls and text messages from people, you know, the week that it came out, like, hey, have you seen this movie? And I'm like, I haven't even heard of this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and here we are months later now, and, you know, for at least for the genre world, you know, it's, you know, top 10 of 2018 type of movie, you know, but it was definitely, it's a movie that was strong enough to be able to be good, you know, and then word of mouth is really what drove it and made it so popular, and that's, that's really the way of the world now. Yeah, yeah. I was doing the show. Like, I get a lot of screeners, and uh, honestly, a lot of them, I wa- I don't even finish. I'm like, I don't know, you know, what was the point of someone making this, whatever. But uh, and I try not, to, I try not to bash anybody. But uh, but when I see something I really like, I'm really happy to come on the show or on social media, like you said, and tell everybody to check it out. Yeah, well, and I and I appreciate you know I can I have appreciation for that. I've I, I've even you know I've talked to some different people and stuff, and you know the the rev- generally the reviews for the harrowing have been really positive. I mean, uh-huh. probably some of the best that I've gotten of any movie that I've directed. But I've also heard some you know some different like you know podcast reviews of the movie and stuff, and you know even when they're not like you know over the moon about the movie. If there's an intelligent discourse happening about sure. a movie, you know, my movie, yeah. and people are, you know, that's the thing that if I've engaged people to want to talk about the movie, I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Versus somebody who just watches it and completely forgets about it by, by dinner time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, earlier when I, I watched it today, uh, well, The Doom Room, I saw I hit the heroin a couple weeks ago, and I, I uh, messaged uh, Debbie, because I know her a little bit from, from the show, and telling yeah. her that I thought it was, I thought it was great. And uh, and she was said she was really proud of the movie, and she also wanted to bring up American Nightmare because uh, in which you talked about. I have not seen it, but she wanted to, me to mention about the twenty uh, twenty year anniversary 20. Blu-ray that's coming out. Yeah, but yeah, we'll be we're, we'll be putting that. We're actually starting on putting that all together so that we can release the twentieth anniversary Blu-ray in you know October just before Halloween. Since since it's a Halloween movie, we decided it would be a good time to do it. So we're getting the Blu-ray put together. It's going to have a bunch of new. I mean, obviously the movie will be on there, but we're going to have a couple of new, a couple of audio commentaries. We're going to try to get together a lot of the cast and the crew to do a you know sit down interviews and stuff and kind of put that together. We've got you know uh, I still have actually a lot of the original audition tapes for a lot of the actors so we're going to put those on there we've got some of the rehearsals including an alternate ending of the movie that was at least done in rehearsal that we're going to put so we're going to try to pack this blu-ray uh this collector's edition with as much as we can um for the fans and then probably do you know we probably will do like two or three variations of it as collector's editions you know with some special stuff you know maybe like a hundred of this kind with some special stuff and you know and then a little bit wider just collector's edition so yeah every, i'm hoping every Everybody will be looking for that in October. Yeah, I've not seen American Nightmare, and I really want to watch it. Not just because you're here, but I really love the Harrowing and Doom Room. And I was like, man, I, I need to watch more of uh, more of your stuff. Thanks. I'm I'm really proud. You know, American Nightmare was my very first movie. Um, I was never. I actually did not grow up as a person that was like, I'm going to be a director one day. I completely mm-hmm. fell into it. I was an entertainment journalist. I was just doing entertainment journalism. I wrote a script. Brink Stevens, who was a friend of mine, read it and was like, because I thought maybe I'll just write the script and sell it. And she's like, you ought to make it. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Okay. And I knew Debbie. <laughs> Debbie and I worked together as writers. And I knew, you know, and I was a fan of Debbie's anyways. And I was like, God, Debbie would be just amazing starring this. And I was, so I sent it to her. And I'm like, you know, if I decided to make this, would you be interested? And she was like, yeah. And, you know, 20 years later, the movie is still in distribution. 
we still get invited to conventions for it. It still plays in festivals. You know, it's it's really gratifying having a movie that's that's been in continuous distribution for twenty years that people still watch, that people still talk about. Yeah, I just started doing um, festivals this year. I used to do you know conventions. I still do them once in a while. But uh, I think I fit in better at the festivals because it's just all about watching movies. It's a really great experience for everybody listening. Like, you you know, I got to see, like, a lot of movies before they come out and people talk about them. You know, Summer of uh, 84, Renan and the Apocalypse. And it's like, oh, I saw this a long time ago. You know, that's a thing. And it's like, so, uh, and uh, Derelicts is a movie I want people to check. I don't think it has distribution yet, but I saw it at uh, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. And that was my favorite movie of uh, that festival. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, and and actually, Buffalo. I'm good friends with Greg. Uh, oh, Lamberson. nice. And I, it, yeah, I love that. It was actually, Doom Room. That was actually where one of our first actual real big screenings in the U.S. was at. I think that was actually because we did USA Film Festival first, and I'm pretty sure Buffalo was the second one that we did. Um, mm-hmm. And we, and we got to you know it, it won a couple awards up there and stuff, and the audience reaction was really great. But yeah, it's a, I love the Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. They're great. Yeah, I had a great time. It was my first one, uh, time going to that, and uh, Greg I had Greg on the show a couple times. He invited me out, and uh, what's really cool about that one has a really um, there's like a, a community. You know, it's a lot of local people and people yep. that have like kind of grown up there, like had shorts, and now they're having their feature, and it's, exactly. uh, it's a really nice experience. It is, and it, yeah, like you said, it's a real. It's got a real. It's got a real base of indie indie genre film people that that are very loyal to the festival that have kind of grown up at the festival yeah and that's one of the like you said that's one of the reasons i love festivals is you know there's that communal experience that most festivals have with that sort of base family that's a part of it and just getting to see movies that either you may never have heard about before or what's really fun obviously is when you see a movie there and then it breaks out later on you know that's yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yeah, and then I'm like, hey, I got an interview with with the director of that. I'll put it up on uh, YouTube or whatever. But <laughs> but no, it's exactly. it's cool to see it before you want to see it. So, um, do you, do you, are you work anything right now? Because you said these both are coming out like in a few weeks apart. So I just assume you're just like making movies, you know, multiple <laughs> movies at the same time. <laughs> so no, they, it's well. I mean, I'm definitely I'm working a lot. I sort you know I've actually you know as a producer I've been doing a lot of producing more more recently. I actually we just got done filming uh, William Brent Bell who directed The Boy um, and The Devil Inside. We just got done filming Separation, his next movie. Um, so we just wrapped that out in De- in December actually. Um, so the editing and stuff's getting ready to go on that. And and I've been doing a lot of producing over the last year. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as like 2019 goes, I'm sure there's definitely some, be some more producing jobs going on. Uh, we've got a few movies that we're trying to get off the ground for me to direct. Matt and I have got, you know, we've got a steampunk series called The Mechanical Grave that we're trying to get off the ground. We've got a handful of, uh, other, you know, both genre, you know, horror movies, action movies, a handful of different stuff. So, you know, I think 2019 will be filled with definitely some more producing jobs. And, you know, if we have our way, at least another directing, another movie, you know, directing as well. Yeah. Were you always a horror movie fan? Always, always. I've been, I mean, I love, at the end of the day, I love, I just love good movies. 
you know, and by yeah. good movies, Same I mean movies me. that entertain me. <laughs> but yeah, right. horror has always been a thing for me. I, my, uh, you know, my aunt back in the early seventies, my aunt was doing Halloween houses before people did Halloween houses. So I kind of grew up around that world and watching, you know, the Halloweens and the Friday the 13th and all that stuff as a little kid. So I've always been totally into special effects horror makeup and the horror movies and, and that whole thing. So that's been a particular love of mine my whole life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Were there any particular ones? I know you said you never thought about becoming a director, but uh, were there any particular horror movies that uh, uh, that you remember that like you know, made you maybe think about becoming uh, working in movies at some point? I think, well, most definitely John Carpenter's Halloween. I mean, that was, that's of all the horror movies out there, that's always been the biggest, the biggest one. I think, though, more specifically to your question, you know, the one time as a growing up when I actually did really kind of toy with the idea of going into the movie industry, it was actually more about special effects makeup than it was about directing. I never actually thought about being a movie director until I actually did it. But, it, but American Werewolf in London, that wow. was probably the one that had the biggest. Because I remember watching that and just being in awe, not only of what John Landis did with the movie, but with what Rick Baker did with the effects. Yeah. And because of American Werewolf in London, you know, I started studying that stuff, and obviously Tom Savini as well for that time period. And for a long time, you know, junior high and through high school, I had a little special effects lab, quote unquote, you know, set up in my bedroom, and I would try to, you know, I would do prosthetics, and I would do that was the thing that I was most fascinated by back then. And so, you know, any of the ideas of would I go into the movie industry came out of American Werewolf in London, and the idea of maybe doing special effects. Yeah, still the greatest transformation scene ever. Still holds up. Absolutely, absolutely, still love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a perfect all around. It's you know it's well lit, so you're actually seeing it. Does it cut away? And yep. the music, yeah. the music is perfect. And uh, another part of the movie I love too is uh, is the friend that keeps coming back, and he's like oh he's decaying God. throughout the movie. And I think exactly. that's kind of an, an overlooked part of the movie that that, that it that's is no. He was, yeah, Jack, I mean, he was, he was, or, uh, yeah, but yeah, he was, I mean, he was such a, well, one of the things that I loved so much about what they did with American Wolf in London, what Landis did was, you know, there's the horror, but then there's also the comedy. And yeah. so you truly have the roller coaster ride of what a genre movie should be, the peaks and the valleys, because the you know the comedy in that movie is just as great as the horror in that movie. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the things I so appreciated about it. I think that's always hard to pull off. And for me, the best horror comedies are ones that still work as a horror movie. Because I think if you get too silly and it doesn't work as a horror movie, it's not. Yeah. Doesn't really interest me too much. But uh, that, like, Return of the Living Dead is, is another one I think that you know, the, the horror in it's great and it's also very funny. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, where can people uh, fo- follow you or, or any of your movies on, yeah, online? So on Facebook, um, John Keyes, J-O-N-K-E-E-Y-E-S. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Highland Mist, uh, H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D-M-Y-S-T. You can find, you know, if you do the search for either of those, it's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram. Um, and then you can also go to highlandmist.com for my website. Right, and actually, johnkeys.com as well for my director's site. All right, very good. Well, I appreciate coming on. It's been uh, it's been great to talk to you, and hope to do it again sometime. I really appreciate it, Neil. This has been a blast. Thank you so much.
Thanks. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! They're coming tonight! Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! This is Debbie Rashong, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Hayden Tweedy of The Harrowing, which is out now, and Doom Room, which comes out January 15th. It's cool to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to, great to be here. Yeah. So I really enjoyed both movies. Like, how far apart did you make them? Because, you know, it's, uh, it's odd that they come out at the same time. Um, and you're They're referencing The, the Doom time. Room and The Harrowing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was about, I would say, maybe four, five years in between. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was a little while. John, I actually hadn't heard from John, um, too much. You know, he's just really busy and he called me up one day, uh, after we had shot the Doom Room and, um, said that he had a role for me in the Harrowing. So that's kind of how that happened. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And when I talked to John, he mentioned that he's worked with you for, for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I would say even yeah, like has... your free Barney days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did Barney when I was about um, eight or nine, and I worked with him before that. So he was my my very first director and my very first movie, and um, it, I couldn't ask for a better director to work with yeah. for my first time or any time, really. Mm-hmm. What's that like to kind of grow up with a, uh, with a director? Um, it was great because he, I mean, he's become like a part of my family. You know, my mom knows him because, you know, she was like my momager, like helping me as a kid actor. And um, so she's gotten close with him and uh, I've gotten close, you know, with his wife, Sarah. And so I, I regard them as family. They're just, and he's amazing. He is such a kind human being and just so amazing to work with he's just such a professional and his work ethic is just unparalleled mm-hmm. um so but it was amazing working with him time and time again because i just got really close and you know started he, he's he's like a family member you know mm-hmm. when american nightmare came out the first movie you did with him were you allowed to watch it <laughs> um no i wasn't actually i could see my parts only um and other than that that was kind of yeah, that was kind of off limits, even though, you know, I knew what was yeah. going on and that it was a movie. It was still uh, pretty raunchy, so a little right. too raunchy for a seven-year-old. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so what did you think of The Harrowing when you read the uh, script? I loved it. I thought um, my character, Ella, was really, really cool. She's, I mean, she's twisted, um, but I feel like, you know, that's what John does. He, he likes twisted things. So, uh-huh. um, I, I read it and I was just like, I just loved all the twists and the turns and the, 
in the movie, I was like, I, you know, thought that it would be really cool for the audience to, yeah, I feel like there's so many movies nowadays where you can, where you kind of figure out the plot before it mm-hmm. unfolds. And this one, you know, I felt like had some great twists and turns that kept you, kept you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you're not sure, you know, what is reality and who's who's the hero or the victim, you know, and, until right. the very end of the movie. Right, right. which I love. I think, um, a lot, I mean, from the responses that I've seen so far, it seems like everyone is kind of just like, whoa, what, like, what happened? And then I think John always has, like, a good cliffhanger because he kind of likes to leave the audience wondering, like, okay, is it, is it real or is it, you know, is this his reality or is, you know, what's going on? So Mm -hmm. I don't think this movie fell short in that. Yeah. And what's that Matthew Tompkins like? Because he worked with him on both movies. Matthew's so great. He's such a great guy and he's um, just really fun to work with. He's a goofball. He, um, I mean, he would like, you know, he's all about like making funny faces and just making you laugh in between scenes because the content is really heavy. So it's nice to have, you know, that um, comedic, comedic relief, I guess, on set. So he's mm-hmm. he's great to work with. But he um, it was so crazy because he can really turn it on in an instant, you know, mm-hmm. so like one one minute he'll be joking around and the next minute he'll he'll be like in this crazy scene where it's so emotionally invested and it's just really really cool to see he's a professional yeah. for sure you mentioned ella's uh twisted and uh do you like to play that kind of character is that fun it is fun it's really fun um i think john has showed me that side of i guess i don't know that he you know i worked with him a while and he's very much into this thriller horror genre and um i don't know if i would ever have had the opportunity to play characters like this had it not been for him so yeah it's it's definitely fun it's um just something cool to i, I like a meaty role to to dig into mm-hmm. are those the kind of movies you were into are you into horror movies or thrillers personally it's so funny because personally i'm not a huge horror genre fan mm-hmm. um but i i like to you know i like to play them so it's like i don't love watching people die but i like to die in movies and <laughs> uh-huh. so when you read the script was it uh was it evident all like all the twists and turns could you figure it out more when you watched the, the finished movie um yeah i mean i you know i read the script and obviously I, I couldn't figure it out as i was reading it which was really great um and then just to see it all come together was really really awesome because you know you it, it's really cool to see something come to life and come to fruition because you, you think, you know, things are going to be shot a certain way or you see it in your head a certain way. And then when you see the final product, it's, um, it can be completely different, but, and, you know, for the better, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's really, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to, to watch a movie that you're in as a movie, as opposed to like the, uh, uh, kind of like the memories of making the movie and the experiences? Um, it, it is a little actually, because, you know, you're trying to not think of like, oh, what, you know, what the, what position the cinematographer was in, in that, in that moment, or like what the lighting guys were doing or how, when, you know, the director yells cut, you, 
and you are like butt naked on the on set how the makeup lady swoops in with like a robe you know so it is a little interesting because you kind of have memories tied to it aside from what's actually going on in the movie um but it's it's really cool it's it's you know i try not to let that affect um me seeing it as a as an as a work of art i guess mm-hmm. yeah. in the full scheme of things yeah john mentioned that it was a little i don't want to say like a weird or anything but awkward i guess that you know since he knew you since you were, were a kid uh to right. do like an, a more adult scene with you in his movie yeah yeah, it's funny because this was the harrowing, harrowing was actually the first movie that I kind of had like an adult role. And it was funny because when he called me up, he was like, you know, I have this role for you. He's like, I'm going to send over the script so you can read it, see if you like it. And he's like, but I have to warn you. It's pretty. Um, he's like, it's an adult role. He's like, you've got an adult role now. So because up to that point, even um, when I shut the Doom Room, um, I was 18. So I was legally an adult, but I had a very like, young childlike character so yeah it was it was a a bit awkward um just because of the content and like you know mm-hmm. i did have to be naked and stuff but john is so i mean that's one of the things that um i've just admired about him so much is how he makes the cast feel so comfortable on set with with any scene that you're shooting so i felt you know i thought i guess i thought it would be awkward and i guess the idea of it is awkward since i have known him since i was little but right. when i was on set i didn't feel awkward at all yeah he just yeah. made it very very comfortable mm-hmm. i like that it kind of deals with uh, you know, uh battling your demons where is that really just a metaphor or are there real demons and uh you know you don't really know when you're watching the movie but right. i like that whole that concept yeah yeah and i think um yeah, I think that was John's whole thing that he really wanted to to um, come across to the audience. You know, it's kind of that idea. Were, were you on? Were you around Michael Ironside at all? Was I what? Uh, did you work? Were you around Michael Ironside for his scenes? Um, not too much. No, um, I mostly shot with with Matthew mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Doom Room is similar in a way, but kind of like the reverse, where uh, you're not sure what's real in uh, in the harrowing. And Doom mm-hmm. Room, I think you know it's not real, but then you kind of right. start to feel that some of it is real. Right, right. That's a that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of like a like a dark fairy tale fairy tale vibe. Uh, yes. To the movie. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that uh, like to read? Oh, sorry if you were going to say something, but uh, what was like, what was the script like? Uh, the script for the doom room. Yeah. Um, it was really cool to read too. It was, um, I mean, that was really neat because, you know, um, I was kind of playing like a, a an, I guess a, a persona of the main character. And so it was, really interesting to kind of like figure out my character and figure out how she, what role she plays with Jane Doe, the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, it was really cool. I, I, I love that script. Yeah. So um, when you're playing kind of like a, like you said, a, another version in a way of, uh, of the Jane Doe character, um, mm-hmm. do you, do you get with, uh, with that actress to, um, to have some similar uh, mannerisms or anything? 
So we, so John and I talked before and he kind of gave me an idea of like what he was looking for and kind of a glimpse into um, Jane and, and how, um, yeah, just like a, a glimpse into her character. Um, and so I took things from that and I took, he actually mentioned that he really, this character, Ella, he kind of wanted, he saw like a, um, oh, and I'm totally blanking on her name, but the blonde girl in Harry Potter and she, oh gosh, Luna Lovegood. Okay. He said that he was kind of getting like Luna Lovegood vibes from, from Ella. Mm-hmm. And so that he kind of wanted to play that very innocent childlike um, aspect up of mm-hmm. my character. Um, but as far as like me talking um, beforehand about, you know, Jane, I think John and I did most of that together. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's Debbie Rashawn like? I've had her on the show many times, and I know you worked with her on at least two different movies. She is so, she's so great. She, um, you know, I met her on the set of American Nightmare, the first movie that I filmed with John mm-hmm. when I was seven. And um, you know, coming in as a little kid on this horror film, she, I mean, she's such a badass. She really is. And she, but she, you know, she just exudes confidence. And um and I knew her character, you know, on uh American Nightmare was was really dark. And um it, she stayed in character for the majority of the time. She barely interacted. Um, you know, with me I think she kinda wanted to keep that keep her character alive um throughout the whole time that we were shooting. But then when we did have scenes together and we did interact, she was just the nicest person and just so caring and I had to sit on her lap at one point where she was like holding a knife <laughs> behind me and she would periodically like ask me like, are you okay? Are you good? Like, you know, uh-huh. so she was so sweet and um, just so great to work with. And then it was really cool to work with her years later um, in the doom room. Cause it was, I kind of got to know her mm-hmm. on a different level um, as an adult. And she's just, I mean, she's so great. She's just such a professional and uh, she's, her work is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, I uh, honestly didn't even know it was her originally when I started watching the Doom Room because she looks uh-huh. so different in the movie, which yes. is a compliment. You know? Totally, totally. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to her work because she just becomes the character and just completely exudes what that character embodies. So she's she's really really amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you said it was like uh was it like five years since uh since you you filmed Doom Room? Yes. Yeah. It. Um. Or wait. Let me think. So I was eighteen. So it's been about. Oh my gosh. It's been about eight years. Oh wow. Yeah. So, that's been so, a long time. So when you make a movie like that, um, it doesn't come out for, for a certain amount of time. Uh, right. Do you think about it, or do you kind of forget that you made it? Um. So I mean. John will periodically check in and I'll check in with him and just see, you know, what the status on it is. And, um, yeah, I definitely think about it and like, think about, you know, the cool memories. I mean, we shot, um, the doom room over in, in England. And so that was an experience in itself and just so much fun. Um, so yeah, I definitely, definitely think about them afterward. Yeah. And since it's just a, such a stylized movie, what did you think, you know, when you saw the finished movie? Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was really like, I really liked how 
artsy it it actually mm-hmm. came out um i just thought some there were some really cool elements in there that were really kind of a lot i guess a lot more um what's the word i'm looking for like i i almost felt like i was watching a theater production mm-hmm. which i really enjoyed about it because i think there's there's not a lot out there like that and so i i just really enjoyed it and regarded it as like an a piece of art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It was really original and it's a layered movie where at first yes. it's, you know, very unreal. Uh, right. And then uh, when you find out what's going on, it really hits you. You know, this is a, it's dealing with a lot of serious subjects. Right. Right. Yeah. And I hate to say too much cause I don't want to give away the movie for people. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't no spoiler alerts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, <laughs> So I do want to ask, so what, how did you get uh, on Barney and what was the experience like of doing Barney? Barney was so much fun. That was such a great time. Um, it's so funny, though, when you think about like when you look me up on IMDb or like look at my resume, you see like <laughs> like slasher horror <laughs> genre. Then you see like uh-huh. Barney and Friends. It's totally two extremes. But um, Barney was great. It was a lot of fun. I um, It's actually shot in Dallas, which is where I'm from originally. and so. Um, we heard about the audition through, I had an agent at the time in Dallas. We heard about the audition through my agent. And then I uh, went on the audition and booked the, the role. Um, and then, it I mean, it was such a great experience. I think I shot that for about a year. Um, and it, it was just so much fun. It was so much fun just being on set as a kid and just, you know, it really, um, it was just a great experience. And then after that, I went on the um the Barney's Colorful World Tour for five months, and that was a great experience too, getting to travel and um, and do all that. Yeah, that's very cool. So, uh, what are you working on currently? I am currently just auditioning. Um, you know, gearing up for pilot season. That's a big thing that's coming up soon. So, um, I'm just kind of you know auditioning and trying to get myself out there. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask, and I've been to Dallas a few times. Where's the best mm-hmm. barbecue in Dallas? Oh, the best barbecue in Dallas. Uh-huh. Um, it's, you know what? I'm so embarrassed not to know this answer, <laughs> but I actually, I actually, the best barbecue I've ever had was this little hole in the wall place um, that I found driving. I was actually driving back with my dad from LA and we were passing through Texas and it's just, right outside of Dallas and Denton and I'm totally blanking on the name, but it was the best barbecue I've ever had. Oh, if you think of it, it doesn't (laughs) do anything without the name, but it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. We'll we'll keep it hidden, but yeah, I've been, uh, I like exactly a hidden gem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of barbecues. Yeah. There is actually a place out here called, um, Bledsoe's barbecue out. Uh I'm, I'm in LA. Um, and I, you know, I thought that LA would not have any good barbecue, <laughs> right, but right. It's, it's pretty good. And I'm I'm from Texas, so yeah. no good barbecue. Even yeah, though I'm I from, couldn't give you a spot. So. Right. Yeah, I'm from the East Coast, and so we have you know uh, great pizza in Boston and New York's not that yes. far away. And I remember when I was in uh, LA, and I thought the pizza mm-hmm. can't be good here, but a friend of mine wanted to go get pizza, and I have to admit it was it was good too. But it's not the same Uh-oh. as Boston pizza, but it was good. Yes. I, you know what? I've never, I've never actually tried Boston pizza. I've tried mm-hmm. Chicago pizza, like mm-hmm. the deep dish, 
but I, I'd be interested to, to try some Boston pizza sometime. It's very similar to New York. It's a thin Neapolitan style pizza. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, uh, Doom Rooms coming out January 15th. The Harrowing is out now. And yes. uh, I really I really enjoyed both movies. Uh, even though it's technically 2019 last week on our best movies of the year, I had uh, I mentioned Doom Room as honorable mention, but I did oh, awesome. realize it's really a 2019 movie. But <laughs> yeah. Technically, right. I know it's so funny to see like just all the all the stuff that goes into post production, you know. And mm-hmm. John's just so good about that. Just, I mean, not only is he an incredible director, but he is. I mean, he's such a hustler. Like he really, as a producer, he just really goes full force and and pushes his projects. So, mm-hmm. but it it takes a long time, you know. It really yeah. does. So, yeah, honestly, you know, not just because he was on and you're on. Uh, I really like the both movies so much. I want to go and find his other films because I haven't seen one. Yeah, I haven't seen did. yeah American Nightmare, and, and I was told that they have a twentieth anniversary coming out. Yes, yeah, and that was like that was the first one. So that I mean that has a lot of nostalgic ties. Um, <laughs> that was such a great movie. And then there's Suburban Nightmare, um, and then I mean he's done he's worked on other movies. So oh oh my gosh, and I'm totally why am I blanking on the last. I'm blanking on the last name. How embarrassing is that? Well, this title got changed a couple times. So mm. in my defense, that that could be why I'm blanking on the name. But they're, yeah, John's movies are great. They're they're amazing. Yeah. You should definitely check out the other ones. Yeah. I see he's got an Ed Wood movie coming out, which I'm very interested about. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, the Final Curtain, The Last Days of Ed Wood. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. No, he's he's a great director for sure. Cool. Well, I appreciate coming on. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Neil, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. You as well. So if you got another horror movie in the future, I'd love to have you back. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to be back. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. You're so sweet. It's unbelievable. Such a treat. And now I need you so Oh, God.